Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guests today are Pat Amira, Chairman and CEO of Digital Investment House and Data Management Systems Specialist in Venium, and Pat Lavecchia, CEO of Oasis Pro, the digital securities broker dealer that operates the Oasis Pro alternative trading system, whose ambition is to hasten the convergence of DeFi and TradFi. Our subject, if I can capture everything we're going to talk about in a short phrase, is going to be creating liquidity for privately managed assets. Pat Lebecchia, Pat Amira, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's, it's a real pleasure being here. Thank you. Absolutely. We appreciate the invitation. I'd like to start with you, Pat Amira. Uh, the focus of, of Invenium and the other members of your ecosystem, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, is on, as I just said a minute ago, private markets, uh, private companies, privately managed assets, uh, and of course, real estate, uh, including REITs and uh, and residential mortgage-backed securities. Now, what services do you have to provide to attract issuers and investors uh, into that area? And what level of success have you been having so far? Um, So Invenium is facilitating the delivery of data real time to computational systems. And those can be valuation, it can be investor calculation, it can be capital calls, distributions, any number of things, but we're providing the ability to have real-time surveillance of data, but not data that sits in a centralized repository, right? That's a, that is the current model today, but in a decentralized environment. So what we're doing is our software allows an asset owner to credential data there at the edge Uh, in their own systems and then feed it real time into those computational systems. That facilitates massive price discovery. And and there's not really a a yield curve between the public and private markets. It's a yield cliff um, between the public and private markets. The, The yield expectation for an investor into private markets is so dramatically different We'll use real estate as an example on getting the, the cost of equity in a REIT and the cost of equity in uh, private markets is dramatically different. And what we're doing is facilitating uh, better data that is uh, creating steps to bridge that gap between uh, uh, the, the two markets, lowering the cost of capital, improving the value of assets, because many assets in private markets are impaired in their ability to be resold because of a lack of data in a timely or trusted manner. And so that's what Invenium is delivering. And as we do so, the value proposition is better data is leading to better accounting treatment, better regulatory capital uh, treatment for regulated entities, better collateralization. And that leads to secondary markets and new novel forms of primary issuance. And, and so we're, we're seeing, you know, very good traction, um, you know, tens and tens and tens of billions coming onto our platform uh, from the largest asset uh, owners in the world, sovereign wealth funds. Uh, we have uh, one of the top two asset managers in the U.S., a uh, um, top five global bank, uh, one of the top Asian banks, uh, one of the top U.S. banks, one of the top five sovereign wealth funds. We've got seven 
uh, large pension funds in the US uh, that have their, their data on our systems now. Um, you know, so we're seeing uh, utilization, but we're also building this ecosystem out where the practitioners themselves, Cushman and Wakefield, uh, as, as a, a great partner, Deloitte, Houlihan, Loki, Altus, they are coming to us because they see we add value to them uh, it, for the maintenance of their own assets and the technology is delivering an outcome. They're not pursuing a technology. And so we're seeing great success um, and, and we're seeing it on better data with reliability and surety of data flows and auditability of data so that you have observability of data, which changes accounting treatment. So we're, 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 we're seeing some pretty great success. And, and, um, and what, the, what is the, the element that we're bringing? Trusted data reliably just on time, that, you know, into computational systems. Thanks, uh, Pat. I'll, I'll, I'll come back on some of those partners you, you mentioned there a bit a bit later. But Pat Lavecchia, uh, you've just heard what, what Pat O'Meara was, was saying about getting hold of this hard to access data, this these prices, these, these valuations and making them uh, available in a timely fashion where they can actually be used. But how would you describe the link between that data, including the prices and the valuations and the tokenization of, of assets and creating liquidity in these assets. Are we talking just about what Pat Amira referred to there, price discovery, or is it something more complicated than that? Yeah, um, well, price discovery is a very important aspect of it. Um, you know, in order to have liquidity, you need two-sided markets. And but but at the end of the day, this is a much larger opportunity because there are um, there are a broad ver uh, variety of private market assets and a broader pool of investors that this blockchain technology. So I'm gonna take a step back and just talk about that. The, sure. uh, this blockchain technology that allows for real-time transactions, no counterparty risk, lower costs, et cetera. That, that's really what's driving all this. And having that data piece that Invinium is uh, focused on is critical to the price discovery piece but at the end of the day, that's how you create liquidity. Without that, that mark to mark, uh, mark to market every day, every month, every every minute. Eventually, you know, eventually it'll get to that point. Um, it'll be very difficult to uh, create two-sided markets in the private in the private market area. Eventually, blockchain technology will be ubiquitous in capital markets, be it um, the private markets, which are you know. 400, 400 trillion or, or thereabouts, uh, or the um, the public markets. We know the large infrastructure players here in the U.S. NYSE, um, uh, Nasdaq, the LSE overseas, and others. They they've been spending a lot of time on this infrastructure piece. So we would expect the public markets to follow shortly. Uh, shortly thereafter, this beta, in a way, is what they're viewing the private markets at as. Um, but but this blockchain technology allows all this to happen. So it, it's it's going to be slow initially, uh, and uh, it, you know this market's been around uh, for at least nine years. Uh, the first ATS was T zero, right? But it was a slow adoption. They, you know, they they were the they were the pioneers. What we're seeing now is the large infrastructure players, to Pat's point, are diving deep 
Today, uh, as an example, BlackRock just announced uh, a, a full blockchain effort. Um, it, it came over the wires just a little bit ago uh, regarding tokenization, regarding funds, private funds on the uh, to, to be transacted on the blockchain. That's just one small example. Um, we have DTCC attempting to do the, well, not attempting, but moving in that direction, T plus one on the blockchain. You know, and that's like taking an aircraft aircraft carrier and turning it around in the Suez Canal, but they're doing it. So um, that's what that's really what gives us and Invinium and this whole uh, ecosystem when when uh, beneath our sails, because the infrastructure players are serious about this and they're moving very quickly to get into this uh, uh, growing ecosystem. I can already see it's difficult to distinguish between what's the chicken and what's the egg between the platform, the prices, and and liquidity. We'll uh, I expect we'll talk about that more in a in a minute. Can I? This is probably a question for both of you, but I'll I'll start with Pat O'Meara. Um, we're talking here about privately managed assets. We're talking here about price data and about valuation data, fair market valuations. Are those available frequently enough to drive markets in the way that both of you have just been describing? So it's always tough to follow after Pat Lavecchia because he's so articulate. And, and I love that you had a Bet Midler uh, reference, Pat, in the wind beneath uh, the wings. Um, but um, I would say two things. Number one, yes, the, the, the valuation function that's driving private market assets on a monthly or quarterly basis is a dramatic improvement. And let's just use real estate as an example, um, but we can use infrastructure, we can use private equity just as easily. And what we're seeing is the ability to bring a third party mark in with total observability of data and with the automation around data collection and data entry, the price per mark is dropping dramatically literally, um, you know, 10% of what the price used to be um, because the valuation agent using our system is going to get a higher volume of marks and they're doing high value knowledge work and none of the drudgery of data collection and data entry is still there. And as we do those more frequent marks on more assets, what we're going to be able to do is value the holdings and interval and closed ended funds. This is a very big deal. Because right now, general partners are setting the marks in their own funds. I think in five years, that'll be akin to a 40-act manager clearing and settling their own trade. But general partners setting the marks in their own funds, it creates a near occasion of inflation. Um, and what we want to do is avoid that, right? What we want to do is say, um, we want real real marks by a third party, not that the GP was giving us bad data, but it removes even an appearance of a conflict of interest, right? And as they do that, and we can then roll that up with partners like Apex who can set the mark on that, uh, the NAV of that interval fund or the closed ended fund on a quarterly basis, we can post this and we expand the opportunity of the closed end interval funds that can be listed on exchanges like Oasis Pro. Because with the underlying assets marked and the asset being marked by a third party, you have the price discovery and the data elements needed for bid ask to exist. And as we have more of these listings in the two-sided marketplace, the, 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 the supply of high quality assets for purchase will drive the, the, the demand. 
And we've got to, one of Pat's jobs is to balance both sides growing at the same time, not an easy challenge. And what we're trying to do is make sure that we're delivering the data that's going to draw the buyers in so that they can see these things. But yes, the monthly quarterly marks are going to drive enormous listings, we think in closed end and interval funds uh, in the early days. And this is going to have a dramatic effect on infrastructure all the way through into how often, because right now infrastructure assets, the funding rate is so low, the cost of diligence is so high and planning that unless there's a sovereign, uh, you know, uh, entity pushing this, these, these infrastructure assets don't move forward. With better marks and, and, and more money going in, you're going to start to see more development just in infrastructure development, not only in the first world, but in the developing world. And that's a dramatic uh, impact that we can have. And so, yes, it's going to drive liquidity all the way down to individual projects and, and, and broadening geography. Uh, Pat, I'm sorry if I went too long on that. No, hey, I, I, I agree with uh, everything uh, Pat O'Meara shared there. Um, we, um, uh, yeah, in terms of cost, we estimate just uh, in, in regards to uh, typical issuers with yield, right? Anything with yield, equities, let's set aside, REITs have yield, structured products and, and, and other uh, corporate debt, et cetera. Um, real estate finance, infrastructure product projects, um, credit card receivables, you know, I can go on and on, um, that the, um, the savings can be anywhere between 20 and 50 basis points of the issue. Now, that's not just our view. Uh, we, re we recently, and Vinium was involved uh, uh, with it, which we were really um, pleased about to, to kick off our partnership. Um, we had a, a strategic raise recently, a, a little over 27 million. Another investor was Redwood Trust. Here in the US, Redwood Trust is one of the largest residential mortgage-backed security uh, issuers in the world, basically in the world, billions a year. They're, they have confirmed this type of uh, range, 20 to 50 BIPs. And where does that come from? That's the back office servicing. So back office servicing, when you have a yield product, you need to know where do you send the funds? on a quarterly basis, monthly basis. Uh, it needs to be double-checked. It needs to be triple-checked. Um, further confirmations have to occur. And that's typically a third-party service. Now, with the blockchain, and frankly, with digital wallets, we're unique because we can have digital cash for digital securities transactions. So that's wallet-to-wallet, stable coins like uh, USDC, uh, DAI, and others. Uh, you can transact. And, and purchase a digital security. Now, due to that, you already have all that KYC and AML in place. In regards to all this, all the distributions on a quarterly basis, for instance, can be done from the treasurer's office or controller's office or CFO's office. So, I mean, that's the future. That's where we're going. And um, that's why these savings are there. But, I, you know, I don't want to... Um, uh, uh, take light what 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 uh, you know from a future perspective what Pat O'Meara was talking about in regards to uh, fractionalization democratization of the ability to do infrastructure products in emerging markets with this ability of marking the market having valuations 
allowing a two-sided market because that without without those valuation marks you will not have a two-sided market at all and that's the critical aspect here as you look very far far ahead and i was struck by a, a phrase which um patamira used when he talked about general partners uh, valuing the assets in their own funds as you look very far ahead is it possible to conceive of a situation which actually it's the activities of the limited partners buying and selling these assets because they've become more liquid actually starting to set the prices so uh, in in most private equity funds pricing services are directly passed on to the limited partnership that's that's kind of the the common nomenclature call it 80 to 90 percent and the GP in most private equity funds, they're bearing that burden themselves in valuing that, that comes out of their management fee. So one of the things that we're doing right now is working with people um, who have large pricing services. Think ICE data services, New York Stock Exchange, think um, Refinitiv, think uh, various large pricing services that as they begin to utilize our service and distribute the mark, from a Cushman and Wakefield or Houlihan Loki to the GP. The GP loves that because his margins on his management fee just got better and he's actually passing it directly onto the LP. So for us, we say to the, your GP, hey, you're getting a third party so you look better. It's transparency and your margins get better and you free up room in, inside your own management fee <clears throat> to be used how you like but we're passing that directly onto the LP. So we're already seeing that and we're seeing LPs themselves directly asking for this service to be delivered inside funds that they're in. Um, and in smaller startup new funds, the LP has a lot of power. In a Sequoia, they can't necessarily demand it, but we just think it's gonna happen and it's coming. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Pat Levecchia, those that 20 to 50 basis point savings for issuers you described, um, you, you were talking in reference to, to mortgage-backed securities in particular. My first question is, does it, would the same sort of savings apply to issuing funds? And my, my sort of follow-up question to that is, do you expect those savings to increase in the future as this market matures and the technology matures and the issuers increase and the investors increase? Yeah, uh, well, I'll take the second part of that question. In the future, uh, absolutely. So we're just, you know, we're just at the early days. There's a, a, a component of blockchain. Now we're really talking about TradFi utilizing the blockchain here. That that's that's our focus. But there's this whole new world called DeFi, which we're not going to touch upon in this in this chat because that's a whole other. Uh, uh, panel, I, I would think, but both Pat and I can talk about it. But the benefits of DeFi um, are, are, are vast, uh, but it, it's going to be very difficult to incorporate DeFi until TradFi moves to the blockchain first. It's like a step process. So that D, DeFi, which is collateralization opportunities uh, to get, think of peer-to-peer -peer collateralization. So Pat provides a mark on a fund uh, you know, fund A, um, they're trading on our ATS. Well, let's say you're an LP, you don't necessarily want to sell, uh, but you want to take out a, a more, think of it as a margin loan. Well, you can utilize DeFi to do a peer-to-peer -peer margin loan in certain, uh, certain of the ecosystems in DeFi. 
without a balance sheet. That's not on our balance sheet. That's not an Invinium or anyone else's balance sheet. It's in this world of or, or ecosystem of the blockchain and DeFi. Uh, I mean, that's tremendous, right? In terms of the opportunities there. And there are, there are safety factors too. So if Pat's mark comes out a couple of months later and it's, it's not that great for that fund, but well, well, that ecosystem's protected because in, in what's called coding or a smart contract, there'll be the ability if it if it passes a certain uh, from a, a decline standpoint, a certain price, it's automatically liquidated on an ATS such as ourselves. So that's where the future is going. Um, so that's there will be a tremendous amount of um, cost savings there in terms of funds. Your your uh, first question and uh, the savings. Well, there are distributions by funds. We view that as yield, right? Now, those distributions can be in the form of a holdings. They can be in the form of um, uh, cash cash distri distributions, depending on, on the fund's uh, strategy there. But certainly, if those underlying, I think of those underlying um, holdings as being tokenized. And then again, wallet to wallet. So uh, wallets will be holding security tokens. They already do outside the U.S. Very shortly in the U.S. they will be on a secondary basis. Uh, today on our ATS, we have a primary marketplace. You can use your wallet and hold that security token uh, in an in a, uh, initial investment. Um, so we're already heading in that direction. So uh, yeah, absolutely. With funds, there will be a tremendous amount of savings. And if, if I can add on, on top of this, um, we're, we're going to see this as, as Pat correctly pointed out in DeFi, where the nature of banking, where a collection of DAOs, because right now, if you want to have exposure to auto loans um, or home mortgages, your deposits at a bank de facto give you exposure to that, Right. Um, and if you want specific buildings, you have to invest in a trust. But the ability for new digital banks to be standing up uh, DAOs that they're sponsoring, um, where you're going to say, I want exposure to this building, this building, this building, this building, and you're sweeping your cash from your checking account into that every single day, um, that, that's real. Uh, and, and, and we're, we're going to see other... Um, financial product innovators who have packaged products directly coming in as mechanisms of savings where you're not depositing into a brokerage account a la Robin Hood um, and you're not depositing into um, uh, you know any of the you know acorns or whatever it might be that you're collecting money and then you're sweeping into a brokerage account but your your base uh, savings mechanism and deposit mechanism is into things like ETFs that are directly connected to payment rails, that's directly connected. So it's it's instantaneously settling and withdrawing, not T plus three, but instantaneously an ETF or, or a money market fund or a, you know, whatever it might be that, that pays the cash. That, that reduction of rails is dramatic savings in, in, in the future. But even today, as we talk about very real savings, the predominant mechanism of valuation, the predominant tool of valuation for private market assets in America today, a la 70%, is still Excel. That is 100% 10-finger automation data in, 
right? Valuation, review, 10 finger automation out into various different other tools. And what, what we see is by the ability to, to flow data using Invenium's piping into valuation tools like Deloitte's Value D or investor calculation tools uh, that Apex has or Deloitte has or into Argus Upload, literally we're automating this function using legacy systems or on-chain smart contracts for less complex mechanisms. So we're, we're removing, let's just give you an example, 70% to 80% of the manual work done per valuation by our large clients, right? In, in some cases, for very large assets, they're seeing 600% improvement on the teams once they start using our tool. So th there's definitely value being delivered as these new technologies come online and it's gonna be transformational. That was a long answer, sorry. Yeah, what you were, um, what you were saying about peer-to-peer -peer collateralization and what you've just been describing, Patomira, the um, getting rid of that Excel valuation technique doesn't sound like great news for investment banks and, uh, and fund administrators, fund accountants who, who are presently intermediating, if you like, that, that, type, of, that type of business. Um, but I, was, I, I wanted to clear up one, be absolutely clear on one point. This might be a slightly stupid question for you, but are we talking here about tokenizing the funds? We're talking about tokenizing um, uh, ETFs, REITs, 40 Act funds, are we talking about tokenizing the underlying assets of those funds? Or are we talking about tokenizing all of those things? Uh, well, so, Pat, go, I, I'll, go I'll, ahead, Pat. thank you, Pat. So I, I would say tokenizing the funds initially, and then in the future, you know, as the market grows, those underlying assets will be tokenized as well. I, I, would, I would suggest, yeah, the underlying assets. And when we say the asset itself, what... What I would say is, um, you know, people say, what's the operating system of Invenium? We say it's the chancery court of the state of Delaware, right? Meaning um, that we're, what the token is has to be a legal instrument that can be adjudicated, right? And so it has to have a, a juridical alter ego that is a one-to-one -one direct representation, right? So this token is a form of a piece of the capital stack, of the SPV, of the limited partnership. It's a unit, it's a share, it is a, it is a whatever, right? You know, but it, but it has to have a, and an NFT that we primarily think of in the terms of a trust, right? You know, where, where it can have some pretty cool functionality, um, particularly using other people's technology. So somebody in our, another person in our ecosystem where you're embedding a wallet inside an NFT and suddenly you have a really, you explode your brain as far as what an NFT can be as a buyer and seller and holder. And so it, it, these tokens represent legal structures. And so funds are easy because they're bigger and they've got assets and it's chunkier. So we're starting with them, but we're going to see the granularity all the way down where we're tokenizing every piece of the capital stack of an individual asset. And, and by the way, this is we're seeing global exchanges, the largest of the large global exchanges, standing up single asset listing services, right? And, and this is the digitization of the whole world. And to think that things are gonna trade in paper is, is, is not reality. How is it gonna be digitized is the question. And, and, and Pat and I are making big bets 
that it's all going to end up on the blockchain, but because we see every major bank in the world going there. And if you took, uh, to go back to the, De the DeFi aspect of this, which I know is a whole different subject, uh, but uh, Pat Lebecki brought it up. If you went to the Court of Chancery in the state of Delaware and said, well, actually, we're operating through a bunch of DAOs now, you know, these decentralized autonomous organizations, would they be able to get their minds around that? You're kind of asking these guys to, to cope with quite a lot of novelty in one go, aren't you? Well, so uh, I'm, I'm going to hit that one, Pat, and then, and then you, you correct me on every time. So the state of Wyoming was the first state to have an, a limited liability corporation, an LLC. They're also the first one to recognize a DAO as a corporate entity, right? And a DAO is effectively a co-op, right? A, a cooperative without a fiduciary duty to your partners because you're trading against them. Is this in Wyoming or, or throughout the United States? This is in Wyoming. Right. This is in North Dakota. The mid, the, so right now there are three states that, that have fully adopted them. There are 17 states that are picking up language that this is in the legislature right now. And so a DAO operating in Delaware has to do so as, as a form of another corporation, but we think Delaware will be adopting a DAO as a corporate, re, corporately recognized entity with its own structure recognized in law it's not going to be long. I'm not going to put a date on it, but it's going to be soon. But it's coming. It's rolling out. Uh, okay. Let's talk a bit about now about, um, uh, we've agreed we're in the early stages of this, but we expect it to grow to an enormous size in a relatively short time. Can we talk a little bit about some of the, the barriers to, to that growth happening sooner and faster? If I said to you, Pat Amira, which asset classes um, are you focusing your price and valuation data gathering efforts on, which are the least reliable, most inaccessible asset classes in terms of obtaining that information right now? Where's the biggest opportunity for you in a way? Yeah, the, so we're focused on um, large individual asset classes that are data rich and low frequency trading infrastructure, private equity, private credit, real estate, um, because there's comps, but the, 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 the trading frequency that we see is not as great as it should be. When FASB applied ASC 815 um, that allowed um, comparative uh, analytics um, in, 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 uh, for uh, securities in the high yield bond market that allowed ASC 820 to illiquid assets level three, level two, market alternatives level one liquid. They were saying you couldn't be a marketable alternative unless the exact, you know, the exact same thing. And they said, no, you can use ASC 815 for comparative. And then, and high yield bonds went from level three to level two. The high yield bond market grew 10x and trading grew 100x. We're going to see the same thing in real estate. We're going to say the same thing in, in infrastructure. And we're going to see the same thing in private equity. And this is going to happen. It's going to roll out a little bit at a time in the early days. And then we're going to hit the tipping point. The tipping point is going to be sooner than people think because some people have been toiling uh, it, for a long time, you know, kind of, you know, laying the foundational uh, pieces here. And, and I would say 
the asset class that we think we're going to see the greatest amount of, uh, uh, you know, kind of uptake is in real estate first, particularly real estates in funds, real estates held by insurance companies, bank-owned real estates, and corporate-owned. And, and, and the reason is the tax, the accounting, the regulatory capital release is dramatic, right? The benefits are, are real and dramatic. And the family office owner who's not a seller may not realize that benefit until the whole market raises and the asset he owns goes up. Does that make sense? So we're, we're going to see that. And, and right now, getting data um, on a regular basis, because what happens is once you start giving data on an annual basis, everybody expects it every year, right? Many of the big REITs only value their assets one every three years. They value a third of their portfolio annually, right? That means a building's only valued once every three years on its books. That's horrific. You know what I mean? Prologis, which has one of the best uh, multiples out there, they value every asset they own every single quarter. And they're considered a tech aberration and that they're leading the pack. Literally, this technology is available where every single REIT should be valuing every asset they own every single quarter today. But this is also going to go into limited partnerships, closed end interval funds. And as that happens, we're going to see better comp data. And, and, and the problem has been people don't want to commit to that because they're not sure the state of their data, where it resides, and how to get it on a reliable basis. Invenium creates the reliability of delivery that this piece of data lives on this machine. We can deliver it just in time using robotic process automation, and you have surety of delivery of data. With that, because if you start giving it quarterly and then you miss a quarter, it's an impaired asset. Well, if you've been giving it once every three years, why do I want to go to quarterly unless you know for a fact you can do it? And that's what Invenium does. The ability to have reliable data delivery on this. And the, the problem is the data lives everywhere. And collecting it into one single database is very hard. And we just said, hey, leave it everywhere and we'll, and, and, and we'll deliver just the elements you need. Um, so, so real estate is, is where we think first. Infrastructure, private credit, private equity. That's where we're, that's where we are. But you, you'd be wrong to, I mean, the accounting benefits, the tax benefits are nice to have, but they're not the real drivers here, are they? What is the, what is the real driver for those real estate firms? Uh, so let me tell you, if you're an insurance company and you hold a, a real estate asset on your balance sheet on Schedule BA, you have a 20% capital reserve. Using our tool, Deloitte will file the submission to get Schedule A treatment which gives you a 10% capital reserve. That's a 50% reduction. Because it's more liquid. Reserve. Because it's more no, liquid. Because of the better data. Because of the better data in the third party mark. So uh, not liquidity. This has nothing to do with data. early data. So, so this is, that's a driver. And as the data is available, that opens the door for tokenization and secondary trading. Because you can't have secondary trading with no data. Do you know what I mean? But if we can deliver that data and, there, and all of a sudden a whole bunch of people have stock that's now reporting on that level, man, it's a flick of a switch to list it on Oasis Pro. And that's, that's the key. And so yes, getting better data, the threat of liquidity in Oasis Pro delivers an outcome, but better accounting treatment is how it starts. 
better regulatory capital release, collateralization, and then we're going to bring that whole tsunami to sit on Pat's marketplace and it's going to trade. And, and real estate brokerage, the secondary trading in funds, Collar Capital, Evercore, their model. So, so there's 450 billion of secondaries a year. Evercore is the leader in that. And let me tell you, it's going to be exploded. The margins, the spreads they get, they're just not going to get anymore. Yeah, just, uh, just to add to that, without data, we're not going to get a two-sided market, right, in, in the private world. So, I mean, it's just, it just a requirement. Now, now our approach is, is a little different in regards to some of the other areas. REITs, real estate, low-hanging fruit, completely agree. But we look at structured products where right now you mentioned, Dominic, the disintermediation of Wall Street. Um, I, I disagree. Um, I, I, you know, I, I cut my teeth at, you know, on Wall Street. And what I learned was whenever there was a disintermediation opportunity, Wall Street still figured out a way to make a buck. And I fully expect that here. And, uh, I, and, and that, frankly, I welcome it because if Wall Street sees this opportunity, their margins may go down, right? But they're going to be involved in this, the bulge brackets, et cetera, which will only supercharge this ecosystem for growth. Um, but just to also give you some other examples, like Pat said, it's going to be a step process, right? Um, ETFs. ETFs came out in the early 2000s. They really didn't go anywhere till the late 2000s. And now some, some, uh, some data suggests ETFs represent between 70 and 80% of all trading. I, I believe that number is going down right now, just based on what's occurring in the market. But, but that took some time. SPACs. SPACs were uh, invented in the 80s. We saw this, uh, this uh, uh, reinvig reinvigoration of SPACs over the last three years. It's cooled down now. Uh, but again, that took a period of time. REITs. REITs were established with the 80s tax laws. Now, REITs didn't take off until the 2000s. So the exact same thing from my perspective, from a blockchain perspective, it's going to be a step process to get there. Pat and I are really talking about the end game right now, where it will be, you, you know, as, as we said, ubiquitous. Um, but it, it just, it's not an if, but a when in term, because this technology, this evolution of technology over, over the uh, current systems, which it's hard to believe really were established in 1973 and had just been built upon, band-aid upon band-aid to get to this point in the capital markets. Um, you know, blockchain is going to be ubiquitous. So again, private markets really haven't had a secondary market due to the valuation issues. We believe that uh, obviously Invinium is going to deliver on that. And then we are that secondary platform utilizing that data. I, I'm, and I'm, I'm sorry, Dominic, to just keep jumping back and forth on, on top of each other's comments. But just to give a, a, an idea about this, we're dealing with you know, a very large entity right now that we, we just finished a six month POC and now we're going live and they're using us to transition out of cobalt. Uh, the, and, and, and this is, this is a many hundred billion dollar entity that has not had surety of data movement because they didn't know how to do it other than massive 10 finger automation out of cobalt. So they've been nursing that thing 
literally, I don't know, 40 years, 50 years, how long, um, but, but this is multiple hundreds of billions that, that, that the, the mechanism of the blockchain to provide provenance for every piece of data from the original store to the new system, they can track it, they can audit, and if there's a breakdown, they can have a point or two, this backup, but they can now begin operating in a new environment. This is, block, this is what blockchain was created for, right? Not to be a database, but to be a mechanism to commute trust in transactional movement back and forth. And you just go, Wall Street is in fact existing in many cases in the largest entities on very old systems, right? And if we can give them a mechanism to get there, and this is what I like about what Pat does, it is the DeFi and TradFi meeting. We got to get them there. It's not going to be all at once. Hey, forget all your old systems. Come over to the new. It's got to, we got to help them get there. I was told the other day that some of the larger uh, banks now track uh, the mortality rate of COBOL programmers uh, as a business risk <laughs> because you know, you bring these guys out of retirement to patch up your old system. So they need to get off that, uh, off those older systems. You're absolutely right. Now, can I, um, Pat Amir, can I go back to, to that question of liquidity? You were very articulate about the capital savings which accrue to an insurance company which is owning real estate from this day becoming available. Uh, but we're often told that, uh, that issuers aren't going to issue onto a blockchain uh, network unless they can be sure of some degree of liquidity precisely to, to create those um, valid uh, prices or valuations of their of their business. So I, I don't know what extent um, you know generating liquidity beyond what you're doing with data, uh, uh, price data and valuation data is part of your part of your plan. Whether you think we need market makers here, lead brokers, somebody who will make two way prices, a term which um, which Pat Vecchia has used a number of times in this in this discussion so far. So um, am, am I right to think that liquidity is the thing which is the issuers in particular are gonna be most excited about in terms of flocking to this market? Um, it, it, it is the end state, right? And to not think it's the end state is, is uh, you're, you're whistling Dixie, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're pretending. The reality is we, the, the um, Obscure Civil War references, a whistling Dixie maybe don't translate well. Sorry, but you know I'm, you're, I'm you're familiar you're, with it. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And so the, the, I know the, what you mean. Yeah. The, the um, but but it, it it is the end state. But along the way, there's massive benefit. All you know in 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 lot in incremental achievement of benefit, and we're seeing that in data transparency, data observability. Uh, accountability, uh, accounting treatment, um, regulatory capital release. So all of those are real today. But Wall Street was created as people wanted to trade things under the, you know, around a broom tree, right? And Pat is closer to that than I am, you know, with Oasis Pro. But the reality it is, is people who have large inventories, want to trade and 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 they're looking for mechanisms to do so in a more effective manner and if they have mechanisms to evaluate data on those assets they're going to trade them to position their own economic thesis one versus another and so this is happening as the largest asset owners in the world are embracing this 
every single day. And, and, and it, this is not, you know, there are people who have four people and a, and, 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 and a website who are doing this, but if we're really engaging in it, you can't do it without understanding how do people, how's the SEC viewing and what happened two weeks ago with multiple share classes trading at the same price? What does that exemption look like? How do you qualify for it? Do you need a market maker? Can the GP act as, as market maker? What are the exceptions for that? How do they get provided capital for it? How can they partner with a third party? Who are those major market makers in the public entities who wanna start getting in just around the funds, not single assets? and then trading by appointment in the bulletin board environment, which assets are close to that. Every major exchange in the world is having this conversation. Um, Pat is, is you know, one of the, the global leaders and it not only in thinking about this, but coming up with solutions that are actionable in live today. So, I mean, I, I should maybe toss it to you, but the reality is you've got to have those elements, otherwise you're pretending. You know what I mean, and 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 we're we're in a business, not a we're not you know we're not having religious visions, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Pat. So yeah, market makers will be critical. Uh, we're in discussions with many around the world, um, the, the largest players, <clears throat> many of the crypto. I, I would say the crypto market makers, the well-known ones, are very interested in this space. Um, and, um, yeah, but they, there, there's not like, there's not, a, there are not enough issuances yet in this, uh, security regulated space. So security tokens in the regulated space, as that grows with quality, it's back to the chicken and egg. You need quality issuers to draw the investors, to create the two-sided markets. The market makers are, are inching toward this. But they're going to be uh, they're going to be vital to this at the end of the day, and uh, what we'll we'll definitely get there. Now, let me also say that many of the large market makers today were market makers in TradFi securities five years ago, and they dipped their toe in crypto for several years, and then they started making big moves, <clears throat> and their businesses have moved almost 80, 90 percent to the crypto space. The same thing will happen with uh, security tokens, and. Uh, and uh, we are seeing that on a, on a global basis. So there are a lot of questions and we haven't touched upon this. Uh, you know, Pat mentioned the SEC. In regards to the US market, and this is true uh, around the world, less so in, in Asia. Asia is moving very quickly, spe specifically Singapore and some of the other venues in regards to um, regulation. Here in the US at least, and certainly the UK and the EU and the Middle East, what you're seeing is um, a lot of uncertainty, great, you know, um, uh, regulation by enforcement uh, occurring. So that's a barrier. That's a major barrier. And, and one of the reasons the large institutions, let, let's uh, away from the infrastructure piece, really focusing on security tokens, are uh, tiptoeing their, their way into this uh, because uh, that uncertainty just creates an environment of, um, do I do I invest a lot of human capital, a lot of dollars into this space with all this uncertainty? And we've been pushing, you know, in DC, and Vinium's been doing the same thing. A whole host of the the crypto world has in in regards to getting more clarity. I uh, I personally think it's a couple of years out. Um, at least here in the U.S., the EU is coming out with guidance. 
uh, the UK as well, but that guidance very, very strict and uh, frankly, somewhat limit, <laughs> limits the benefits of blockchain and why, why groups would be doing blockchain. But I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that uh, eventually we'll get there, uh, but it'll, it'll, it'll take a, a bit of time. We're early, right? It's early. And even though we, you know, Invenium has been here for six years and, uh, you know, and, 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 and you know, um, Pat and, and his team have been working on this project for three, four years, you know, I know starting inside another organization, um, but, it, it, you know, it's still early and, um, but we're starting to see the traction. Uh, the benefit is undeniable. There is, uh, um, and we're out of the buzzword smoke and mirrors. Uh, and, and if I can, I think the, the, the reset, the repricing of the entire crypto world, um, uh, that tide going out really evidenced who had vaporware and who had working software, who had paying clients and who didn't, you know what I mean? And, and with that, there's a great culling of the herd and, and the, the players who have the market domain knowledge, who are solving for the entire end-to-end -end pre-trade, post-trade um, uh, life cycle uh, uh, of an asset trading in a digital form, those players are, are, are getting a ton of new business right now because I, I would say the vaporware guys are, 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 are being choked out. Pat, I don't know if you agree with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, a famous Warren Buffett line, right? Uh, when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. So uh, we're seeing it, <laughs> Pat's seeing it. And um, yeah, it, you know, it's, and, and it's healthy for the ecosystem. While, while we're not crypto, we are infrastructure, blockchain infrastructure, but the two are tied together. And, um, you know, th this is just a, a healthy pullback. Now, that being said, ETH is back, uh, well, beyond the price it was uh, when the pullback started. So, so there, you know, the, the merge is causing a lot of um, anticipation and excitement around ETH, and uh, the, those prices seem to be going up. Uh, but again, from an infrastructure basis, who's actually solving problems? That's the question that we're often asked. What problems are you solving? And um, Nvidia certainly is solving, uh, without a doubt, the data question. Uh, for the private markets, uh, not only here in the U.S., but on a global basis. And uh, we are, are utilizing this wonderful new technology evolution of technology called blockchain to uh, make the capital markets much more efficient and allow the private markets for the first time in history to have a secondary trading venues. So if, if liquidity is the egg, uh, infrastructure by which I mean to include the, the data side as well as the ability to actually issue and these things into, into these tokens into wallets um, is, the, uh, is the chicken. So on that question of, of, of liquidity, and you mentioned this very briefly earlier, Pat Lavecchia, um, one, one thing that the blockchain infrastructure makes possible, of course, is the fractionalization of, of assets, the democratization of assets. And I've seen this now in, in the token exchanges in Asia, in particular, they managed to lower the ticket size for private equity funds, for, for real estate funds. How important do you think that fractionalization capability is going to be to growing liquidity 
in the privately managed tokenized markets, private managed asset tokenization markets. Yeah, very important, but not necessarily day one. In, in, uh, in a couple of years, it will be. Again, I'm gonna go back to this R RMBS issuance example I gave earlier with Redwood Trust. So currently only uh, what, are consider, uh, what are defined as qualified institutional buyers, QUIBs can buy their offerings. Accredited investors can't. Uh, qualified purchasers, 5 million and up cannot. So it's only, it's a level of institutional AUM that can purchase these RMBS. Uh, issuances. Now, let's move forward a year. Um, there are a couple of issuances on RATS with Redwood Trust or others, and they want to broaden their investor base, fractionalization, right? Uh, that gets very exciting for them because for the issuer, because right now they're only dealing with the institutional marketplace. Fractionalization is creating greater yields for the retail and accredited investors, the, the uh, democratization. But there's a huge motivation on the issuer's part to grow their investor base. So it's it's multiple benefits to it. Not, not only for the retail and accredited investors to get higher quality assets into their portfolios, but from an issuer perspective as well. And, and if we think about... Um not just structured products, but funds, particularly alternatives funds. Right now, uh, um, the, the primary buyers are defined benefit plans. Defined contributions are dramatically larger than these defined uh, benefit plans. And uh, that's the holy grail for uh, the alts community to gain access to. To do that, they need marks, they need data, they need listings. And what you're going to start to see is the tools that they need. And there's an entire organization called Decalta um, that does great work on this, uh, leading the effort for alternatives to be included in, um, in defined contribution plans. And I think democratization and fractionalization play into that macro three theme as well. It's not just getting the early saver and early investor who are using this as a primary form of banking or an alternative form of banking, but, but it's also um, inclusion in um, the majority of America's uh, retirement plans because the number of defined uh, benefit plans in America, if you're not a state employee or a really, really, really old corporation, you don't have a defined benefit plan. But to, to, Pat, just to, be, to, to tease you out a bit on that point, when this market has, has matured somewhat, what is, what is it actually going to look like? Are we going to find retail investors owning in their own name chunks of, of buildings in, in Manhattan, participations in private equity funds? Or do you think that ownership is going to come mainly through their DC pension plan? So the, the, there's two or three different, I think, how people are going to save and how they're going to store value is going to evolve over time. And if you can get liquidity in real estate um, and you know there's a mark on it and you can trust it and you can go and from a tax standpoint, go from one real estate asset to another, if you don't like the markets that you're in um, using 1031 exchange, um, you're going to see real estate as a store of value for the smaller investor, right? Which has not been the case, right? It's been an investment 
they sell out, they pay the taxes, et cetera, right? Um, but we're gonna see real estate as a store of value in individual um, assets, the funds themselves as an investing tool, um, whether it's in their defined contribution plan or their brokerage account, um, you know, it's gonna be largely tax defined and tax led on how much they can set aside. But um, from my standpoint, the ability for individuals to have mechanisms to bank themselves, their business and their retirement is going to change dramatically from what it looks like today, right? Where, you know, I have a set of funds and I'm a fiduciary and I got to have enough funds as a fiduciary for my company's 401k and I got to make sure that they're broad enough, et cetera. But literally the concept of opening that up and they have access to almost anything um, and, 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 you know, to, to invest in, you know, all sorts of different opportunities and alts. And, you know, people are being sued right now because the defined benefit plan returns are better than their returns in their 401k because they don't have access to alternatives, right? And I don't know if you saw the big Intel lawsuit on this, right? I mean, th these, are, these are issues where the employees are saying, I'm getting hurt because I don't have the ability to get exposure to what the higher paid executives have in their defined comp, comp plans. And so we need to have equal exposure. When that finally opens up, alternatives are gonna flow into 401ks and that's a huge market. Huge, huge, the biggest, it's the biggest market. Well, one, uh, reason I, one reason I asked you the question the way I did is because whatever else we learned from the cryptocurrency boom, it was that a class of retail investor wanted to bypass the asset management, wealth management, bank uh, intermediaries and go straight to, the, straight to the source. Now that market has obviously undergone a pretty severe re-rating since the autumn of last year. And I hear everything you're saying about, um, about brokerage accounts and, and 401k plans and how this market is gonna open up because uh, they're gonna gain access to, the, to this asset class. But um, I, wondered if, I wondered if what's happened in, uh, and Pat Lebecker, I'm sure you've got a view on this. I know you're not a crypto firm, but, but this must affect both of you indirectly, um, whether that re-rating has had any effect, positive or negative, on, on your, your plans, either in the short term or the long term? Uh, well, for us, it, it, as, as I alluded to earlier, it's actually been quite an quite a, um, um, interesting opportunity. I think it's actually moved us, uh, our future plans forward significantly. Um, we're reviewing a lot of opportunities. Now, when, when I say we're not crypto, well, well, we are in a way because we can transact stable coins, CBDCs, Bitcoin and ETH for, um, for digital securities. We have that registration here in the US. Um, we, um, what, what we're seeing is that the crypto derivatives market uh, is, is growing uh, very quickly, even with this pullback. Um, uh, the, uh, and that's institutional primarily. The crypto um, exchange market. I mean, there's a lot of bad news out there. Volumes are down. Institutions are pulling back. Um, but eventually that'll turn. Uh, I'm a bit of a bear over the next six months in, in regards to cryptos and alts where they'll be trading. Um, but but that'll, that'll certainly come back. So yeah, there's, there's a dramatic impact because of the use of blockchain. Now, 
you know, I started exploring this area, uh, the, the crypto world about five years ago, initially. And I was a skeptic. It took me about a year to figure out that crypto and blockchain were two different things. And when I figured that out, I saw the immediate imp uh, opportunities in my mind regarding um, capital markets and trade finance and supply chain management, et cetera, uh, utilizing that blockchain. Now, I think what will happen with digital asset securities is that there'll be a convergence with digital assets in general, crypto derivatives, crypto trading. So, you know, yes, we're not a crypto firm today, but that convergence is happening. And I believe with the re-rating it, that it'll happen faster than you know, what we were initially expecting. Yeah, and I, I would add, it's, I, I, I agree with everything Pat said, but I would add that there is a cynicism of the intermediary that is a societal dynamic that is playing out and is a lack of trust in institutions. And when an institution retains that trust, the difference between it and everybody else is dramatic. And, and you may or may not like Warren Buffett, but you know what you're getting and he's a straight shooter and his brand is iconic. You know what I mean? And, 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 and the trust in a brand uh, or an intermediary to invest money and the Vanguard movement itself, right? Not necessarily that they thought that passive was always gonna beat active and indexes are gonna work. In many cases, it was a vote of no confidence in what they saw as excess in reading about stories of asset class, you know, comps, comp structures masquerading as asset classes, right? And 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 what we're what what they were doing is the public was saying, I'm gonna go into something that has very reasonable, I get a, a you know, the majority of the upside. I'm great with it. And so as we see this, more and more structured products and those unique brands that retain the trust, they can attract as much capital as they want. You know what I mean? And, and what we're saying is the movement of individuals to disintermediate certain institutions because of a lack of trust in those, because of repeated behavioral patterns, that's a societal reality, right? And that's people going into crypto, buying individual stocks, buying ETFs, but if you retain that trust and people trust your brand and you're a straight shooter and you're telling the truth, good, bad, and ugly, those people can tend to raise as much money as they need. It's ironic in a way that uh, we're talking about a technology whose entire foundational basis was that nobody trusted uh, established financial institutions at all. And here you are arguing that actually, if you're one of those lucky financial institutions which has retained the public trust, you're gonna do very well in this environment. And that brings me to the third really big theme I'd like to talk to you to both about, which is this idea of, 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 an, of a tokenization ecosystem. If I go to the Invenium website, I can see that you're looking to encompass all sorts of what you might call established intermediaries. Um, you know, uh, uh, Oasis is an example of that. So we're talking about ATSs, we're talking about exchanges, uh, we're talking about fund administrators, fund accountants. We're talking about custodian banks, uh, transfer agents, IT vendors, uh, digital identity service providers. You know, um, what's the word? Uh, customer due diligence uh, data providers. So you're looking to put together actually a, a very complex ecosystem 
uh, of lots of players who are involved in the securities markets today and bring them with you as you build this, this tokenization universe or ecosystem of, of the future. Now, how is that going to work in practice? Are we talking here about um, pure complementarity? You do custody, you do TA, you do technology. Are we talking here about reciprocal arrangements as well, where you bind together different services to create new products? Are we talking here about, uh, I mean, the shareholdings are already being put in place here. Um, Invenium has invested in Oasis Pro, for example. Uh, so what, what's this, what is this, how would you characterize this ecosystem? To me as an outsider looking at it, it looks like a good idea, but it also looks incredibly complex. It's operating in lots of, of different, different ways. Can you characterize it for me, Patamira? What's, what's this ecosystem gonna look like? Yeah. The you know, we're, we're a young company, we're a startup, and we've got a lot of smart, smart people who work here. And we've been, we've been lucky and, and, and blessed to, to, to um, have, have been right early. Uh, but we can't fight all the, the battles on the many different fronts that need to be fought to win. And so we, we got partners. And in order to sustain those partnerships, we, in some cases, invested in them. In some cases, they invested in us. You know, some of the larger entities, Cushman and Wakefield, Apex, um, coming into us, um, um, and, and a number of others, right? Global Blockchain Ventures, K20. I didn't mean to leave anybody out there. Right? I just used those two. The, um, as, we, as we did this, we wanted to facilitate the mechanisms uh, 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 to establish a decentralized economy that allowed the functions to be performed by people who know how to do them, not one person who was going to do the whole capital stack themselves and lose, right? Um, and, and, and so Pat Lavecchia brings expertise and competencies um, that, that are manifest in a dozen different ways that, that we don't have. And we don't want to have, we don't want to be regulated at ITS. We want to support him and what he needs. And we do some things that he can't. And that symbiotic partnership is great. But one of the things that we want to do is we also are allowing uh, institutions to pick in an a la carte manner, right? They say, I want to use this fund administrator. I want to use this exchange. I want to use this transfer agent. I want to use this valuation agent. I want to use this, you know, all the way down, right? And as they do so, um, they're able to meet their needs because there are different expertises that, that develop according to specific types of funds, to specific types of assets. And, and so Invenium is trying to facilitate an ecosystem. And there are some companies, um, you know, the biggest of the big um, historic companies um, in the custody and administration space who want to own it all in-house. That's not DeFi, that's technology evolution creating a single uh, uh, central point. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and we think that that's a mistake. And we also think the swarm is gonna eat the lunch of the monolith. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and um, Pat and his team uh, it, it creates opportunities for Invenium every day uh, with their sales force that we don't, we don't kick up. And, and I think we're doing the same thing for Pat and Oasis Pro. And this allows people to become experts in geographies, in experts in fund types and in function. And, uh, and so it was beyond what we could do, but we, we created the ecosystem of 
partners that deliver a real solution that works. So if you're a fiduciary and you want to tokenize an asset and you want it to be listed and trade and not talk about it for two years, but do it, Invenium and our partners can, can get you there. And Pat Lebecki, how does this, how does the relationship work from your point of view? Obviously, Invenium is, is a data gatherer, the data validator. It's putting this hard to access data at your disposal, but you're a, you're a broker dealer. You're running this, this ATS. How, how, do, how does working together with Invenium look from your point of view? It's a good example yeah. of, of how this ecosystem will sure. operate more generally, I guess. Sure, sure. Um, and, and by the way, we're an investor in Invenium as well. So, okay. uh, you know, we believe in what they do. Uh, obviously. So, um, yeah, data is critical. Uh, we have no interest in, in data uh, in, in regards to in regards to Invinium's focus of data. We do have an interest in ATS data, trading data, right? Because that's how the, you know, the majority of uh, exchanges worldwide, their revenue comes from the data that they share. So incorporating Invinium upfront, uh, producing the liquidity features we've talked about with market makers and others, and then having that data on the back end. So I'll, I'll give you some examples. We're working on, on several transactions, all quite large, 100 million on up, where um, we're in discussions on either a primary, but most of them are on secondary trading. So, so they've, they're either notes, uh, structured products without a, a seasoning period, uh, rather than uh, smaller deals like Reg CF and uh, Reg A plus, and we're bringing in as part of this ecosystem in Vinium. Um, again, it's up to the issuer at the end of the day in regards to what services that they value. But we bring in Vinium to the table because that data will be important for for many of them. Some of them don't see it necessarily day one. Very similar. Some don't see a secondary trading venue as being quite important to them today, but eventually we believe they'll all go there. Then we bring in other components of this ecosystem that Invinium's developed, tokening as a tokenization agent. Now, we work with several tokenization agents um, because, again, it's up to the issuer to make the uh, decision at the end of the day. We, we don't direct them. You need to only work with this partner. And that's the beauty of this ecosystem is it's not one company. It's not one organization, but because then, you know, everything's in-house, as Pat had said, a monolith. This is all about partnerships and working really closely together. So I think at the end of the day, um, that, you know, that example I just gave you, several hundred million, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be listing th these particular entities, these security tokens. Vinium's going to provide the data feed into them. So there's mark to market opportunities. Tokeny is going to provide the digit, uh, the tokenization. And there are also other partners as well. Um, that's the model. And, uh, and uh, you know, at times we may not be part of it. Invinium may not be part of it. Tokeny may not be part of it, but that's okay because we're growing this ecosystem and we're, and we're speaking to each other on a very regular basis. So um, we know each other's strengths. Um, you know, the teams are integrated from a tech standpoint. That's critical. And uh, we're also thinking about future um, opportunities in the ecosystem, the, these partnerships, um, such as creating uh, uh, hubs for custodians. Right now, there are issues back to the regulatory framework I mentioned earlier here in the U.S. and, and all over the world, frankly, where custodians 
the major custodians don't talk to each other when it comes to blockchain. So that's a problem when you're trying to uh, have liquidity and transactions between major custodians, because you may have an account at, at uh, State Street. I may have an account at Bank of New York Mellon and, uh, and Pat may have an account at uh, Fidelity. Well, you know, today it's really, it, it's almost impossible to do real-time blockchain transactions amongst those custodians due to the regulatory environment. So Pat and I are, uh, have started an initiative with other partners to create a hub utilizing APIs to correct that, to, to correct that particular bottleneck. And we're working on other initiatives together as well. Yeah, and, and we believe the hub as, as an initiative, it's, it's a separately incorporated entity that they own a piece, we own a piece. Um, we've contributed quite a bit of technology and, and, and capital into, um, and, and Oasis Pros made a significant commitment to as well. Um, and it powers a huge part of our platform, a huge part of their platform, and, and it's one of the main mechanisms of integration. But we just realized, as Pat said, the ecosystem needs this, right? It's it, this has to be out there. It's a utility uh, that must that that must be out there. So, um, with that being said, um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out that this ecosystem, in a cooperative manner, makes us better. Because let me tell you, when my team is not supporting Pat, he certainly lets me know. Do you know what I mean? And we're not delivering on our promises. And um and and we hold each other accountable, and we drive we drive towards excellence you know, much, much better. Now, um, Pat Amira, you, you referred to certain of your partners more than once in this in this conversation. I'm talking here of the valuation agents who are part of this ecosystem, I guess, Cushman and Wakefield, um, CBRE, Hulahan Loki, Mercer, and so on, um, who are using, I guess, your data to provide, uh, or using data of their own to provide these, these valuations. Um, how does it work with them? What are you doing for them and what do they get out of it? And um, what's the value of, of that partnership to other members of the ecosystem, those partnerships with, with Cushman and others? So we are delivering that data real time directly into their computational tools on a month, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. They provide that high value knowledge work. Do They review the data, make sure it's correct. Um, they, they, we have a, a tool called AI Assist that extracts the data elements from the original, pushes it directly into the, their computational tool, mostly Argus, Excel, but all, also ValueD, the Deloitte's tool. Um, there's a number of them. And, and so that calculation tool then gets utilized to deliver a mark on an asset or a fund. And they have that observability and they can see every change of state in the data. And so what we are is just plumbing, feeding them data, and then they deliver an outcome. And many times they use our tool to instrument their outcomes. So just to give you an example, Cushman and Wakefield, their primary mechanism of delivery uh, for an appraisal used to be a PDF. Now they use our tool, they, they instrument that PDF, and they can deliver it directly to a client as a PDF or as a JSON file that pushes directly into their portfolio management system. So we not only deliver the data, but we make the output higher functioning as well that can be pushed into, in, into that. So they use our tool as a, a mechanism to collect data, have reliability on it, and then push it out and impart trust in the data that they're delivering as well. Mm -hmm. 
and they don't feel threatened by that role that you have. So Cushman and Wakefield, let's just use them as an example, right? Uh, their valuation and appraisal unit, VA, um, it, you know, it's a, it's a big business and uh, globally. And they are, um, they are doing, trans, they are viewed as a transactional business. The recurring, you know, the, the, their earnings, they get a transactional multiple. And what they're doing is they're now entering into long-term contracts where they're doing monthly or quarterly marks, which looks more like SaaS revenue that gets a much better multiple. You know what I mean? So the, they're, they're going to grow the, the top side of that business and per market's less, but the volume that they're seeing is huge. Uh, massive. So they're going to do many more marks. Their, their multiples are increasing and they're going to be seen differently in the marketplace. Well, that will transform their brokerage. That will transform their capital markets. So for them, they view this as a necessary step. Um, I mean, it, I just want to just put this in context. 25 years ago, they were using Polaroids and two-sided tapes for the delivery, two-sided tape for the delivery of an appraisal. That it's not that long ago. Like literally, that was 25 years ago. So into the 90s, that that was that was a reality, right? And then they went to digital cameras and uploaded to the laptop, and that was a massive step forward, right? I mean, so this we're just helping them move to where the technology exists today. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Do you, do you sometimes feel that what you're actually running, and I, I've been trying to get clear in my mind a very simple way of holding what it is that the, the Invenium and its ecosystem, Invenium ecosystem is. And the idea that occurs to me is that actually what's going on here is that buyers and sellers, ultimately buyers and sellers are exchanging very accurate, up to the minute information very fast and very securely in an automated way without the spreadsheets, without the Polaroid cameras, without the two-sided tapes that they do. Is that, is that too simplistic a characterization of what you're doing? I, I think it's a very accurate, it's a mechanism for you to communicate trust in the data in your assets so that there's a better chance Pat will buy it. And not only that, that will buy it at the fullest price. And so what we're trying to do is up, and I wouldn't say up to the minute, because it, it assumes that the previous minute's data is also there. It's up to the moment. And the reason is because some of this data only changes weekly or monthly. Do you know what I mean? But at the moment of the creation of the next iteration, you have that data. Does that make sense? Um, for the things that do that are every second, we have that every second. For, but many of these things are daily or weekly. Um, and, and so it's up to the moment. Right. So that if the moment you want to inspect it, you know, you have the most up to date information possible. Yeah, that is very clear. Now, one last question for you, Pat Lebecki, on this on the ecosystem, uh, which is the, the the DTCC, the American Depository, has committed itself recently to providing some kind of infrastructure uh, for private market securities, a bit like the one that it provides already for the for the public securities markets. Now, do you see that as a complementary development or as a competitive one? After all, you're trying to build, if you like, we've used the term infrastructure a number of times uh, in this conversation. You're building an infrastructure as well. Are they simply part of the ecosystem or are they a competitive threat to it? Pat Lavecchia. Great question, Dominic. It, uh, they're, they're part of the ecosystem. They are... Um, yeah, again, they are as trad traditional finance, TradFi, as you can be. So they see this opportunity. 
Um, yes, they're in the public markets and they're global as well. Um, it's a not, it's a, you know, a lot of folks don't know it's a not-for-profit. Uh, it's backed by all the institutions and it's, it's basically a clearinghouse. Now they're moving into uh, structured products, debt, as well as equities in the private markets. They see a huge opportunity here. T plus one initially on the Ethereum, on the Ethereum protocol and eventually other, um, other chains like Avalanche will be utilized as well, uh, Polygon and, and several others, uh, a Polygon being interoperability. So um, DTCC is taking a lead, which, you know, frankly, we're part of the executive advisory board at DTCC for private securities. And uh, when this initially uh, started, uh, th this exploration, uh, February of 2021, um, I was a skeptic there as well very similar when I looked at crypto because it was the TradFi piece. Now, that goes back to your earlier uh, point regarding disintermediation. The Wall Street players are figuring out a way to insert themselves. DTCC uh, it is, 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 um, is uh, focused on being part of the future, part of the future of this tech, this evolution. There are groups out there like Paxos, who, who are a fine firm, who are looking to de, um, displace DTCC completely. So this, this is DT, DTCC's attempt, and we think they'll be very successful with this, to, uh, to insert themselves in the blockchain. They have all the expertise. They have the systems in place. It'll most likely, for the most part, for us, be API-based. So what does that mean? That means instead of us having to do the heavy lifting with many transfer agents with many custodians in terms of integrating, we would just go through DTCC. Now, our Hubco can actually be part of that as well because we'll be early on that. DTCC is probably a couple of years away on the custodial front. Uh, they, are, they are there on the transfer agent front. So it's a huge win for the industry and uh, yeah, you'll start seeing more and more news. Look, they're integrated with Goldman. They're integrated with State Street. They're integrated with all the major players, the top 300 more uh, asset managers in the world. This is a big step forward for blockchain and our infrastructure. Yeah, but it's certainly a move which has uh, caught the attention of other central securities depositories. Now, we, we've talked for a, for a long time, I, I, and, and we must draw this to a close. I'd like to ask each of you one question, uh, and it's about your own future vision, if you like, what your ultimate goal is, when you will know that you've achieved success, what it will look like. So perhaps I come to you first, um, Padamira. What's, what is the ultimate goal for Invenium? Do you, do you see the company in the future being a kind of data operating system, a data intermediary, or are you going to be, in effect, running primary and secondary Token, token markets, we're going to be doing something else. What, what is success going to look like? What is Invenium going to look like when you have achieved the success, which, which is in your mind today as, as, the, as the, the destination you're aiming towards? So we want to power regulated players with data that can be verified. And to do that, we need to be an operating system for data that other people can manipulate their own data, credential it and deliver it to the regulated players 
real time. And the and and the, the oracles, the intermediaries, meaning you know the Cushman Wakefields, the the Arguses, the the whoever it might be, um, who's Hulahan uh, Loki, who's who's um, opining on the state of that asset or the state of the data, but we're the delivery system. And we wanna be an operating system for data that people can use to credential their data and deliver it in a decentralized environment. And that really is what it is, uh, what we are, which is an operating system for data in a decentralized economy. Pat Lebecke, last question for you then. You've said somewhere, I can't remember where I picked this up, but you want to be the digital investment bank of the future. So the question is, what, what, what will that digital investment bank of the future actually look like? Um, yeah, that, that's our vision, and we're heading toward that. So we've been speaking about our secondary and primary marketplace here on the blockchain, but we, we actually have many, many uh, registrations and approvals from, we can do firm commitment underwritings, IPOs, secondaries. We can do uh, similarly for debt deals, et cetera. Um, so, so where we're heading is we're focused on the blockchain, we're focused on, on providing all advisory services to the blockchain. And eventually, even, even though an ATS is not a national exchange, we want to provide the order books across these uh, private securities on a global basis. So for us, um, where, where our end goal is, is to have global securities working with the regulators. So we're, we're 365-24-7. Uh, here in the U.S., but we're focused on partners in Singapore, Asia, EU, Middle East, UK, and other parts of the world in regards to delivering that true fractionalization, democratization, utilizing the order book, and then as a full-service investment bank, being able to do more than just be a venue for listings, for instance. We want to energize the ecosystem, and we view that as being able to raise capital efficiently, quickly, utilizing the blockchain is part of all that. And we have those registrations. So that's that's our focus at the end of the day. And um, yeah, we're, we're very excited about it. We're really well positioned as Invenium is on the data side. As Amira of Invenium and Pat Lebecki of Oasis Pro, uh, we've spent a lot of time together um, thanks for sparing it to talk to Future of Finance.